We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cast. Good morning. Happiness. We all want it, yearn for it. What's your plan for getting there? For most of us, it's some form of trial and error. We may think being good to ourselves, a nice house or car or clothes, will move us along. Maybe a promotion at work or, for students, terrific grades. Actually, no. Yale psychology professor Laurie Santos is an expert on the science of happiness and the ways, as she says, our minds lie to us about what makes us happy. Six years ago, when Professor Santos introduced a course called Psychology and the Good Life, nearly 1,200 students, one-fourth of Yale undergraduates, signed up. It was so popular, Santos developed a free online version, a curriculum for high schoolers, and the Happiness Lab podcast, downloaded millions of times, now in its sixth season. Professor Santos is coming to town next week for the Baltimore Speaker Series, presented by Stevenson University, and she joins us now by Zoom. Welcome to On the Record. Thanks so much for having me. Happiness seems like it's about feelings, and science is about facts. Can science really point the way to happiness? Yeah, I think this was a misconception that I had, too, you know, coming into it, that can there really be like a science of happiness? But if you think about it, there's a really easy way for science to study happiness, because people are happy. And we can just simply ask the question, okay, what kinds of behaviors and mindsets really lead to happiness in people? If we study the happiest people, what are they doing differently from maybe folks who are feeling not so happy? And then what we can do is take the next step and say, okay, if we get not so happy people to copy the behaviors of happy people, will they wind up feeling better? And we now have about three decades of work that's been doing that in the field of positive psychology. And so we have some really interesting answers about the kinds of strategies that really can improve happiness over time. Well, as you describe it, the human brain isn't especially good at leading us to happiness. In fact, you say it often sabotages us. How? I think the biggest sabotage that we get from our brains is the fact that we have these mistaken ideas about the kinds of things that will make us feel better. You know, we assume it's about changes to our circumstances. I need to get more money or I need to get a different job or, you know, if you're single, I need to get partnered up. Those are the kinds of things that make us happier. And by and large, it doesn't seem that it's really that much changes to our circumstances that make us happy. I mean, the one caveat to that is that if you you know, don't have enough money to put food on the table or if you're living through a traumatic circumstance, like obviously changing what's going on in your life will make you happier. But by and large, for most of us, really happiness doesn't come from our circumstances. Our circumstances are fine, but we need to change our behavior and our mindset to truly end up feeling a little happier. Well, does it, does it follow that Many of the tips and techniques you advocate for becoming happier call for us to override our intuitions? Yeah, I think that's the first step is that we have to stop going after the wrong things. I think the problem isn't that many of us are pursuing happiness. You know, a lot of us are putting a lot of energy into it. It's just that we're doing it wrong. And so if we had better strategies, if we knew the kinds of things that really did work for feeling better, we'd probably do a lot better in terms of improving our well-being. You have been a cognitive scientist and primate researcher for decades, but you started that blockbuster course in 2018 because of the mental health crisis you were seeing among students. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, what we, you know, I was really shocked when I started working really closely with students to find out, you know, just what students at Yale were going through. But I was even more shocked to find out that this isn't a problem just with 
Ivy League students, this is the kind of thing that college students and young people generally are going through nationally. So right now, nationally, call it about 40% of college students report being too depressed to function most days. More than two-thirds of college students nationally report feeling overwhelmingly anxious. And more than one in 10 college students nationally has seriously considered suicide in the last year. I mean, these are devastating statistics. And they were really scary to me working with this community of young people I was kind of interacting with at Yale because I said, you know, these, these, we're not being able to teach students all that we want to teach them in college if so many students are depressed and anxious, experiencing suicidality. I really wanted to do something to improve my students' well-being. Well, is it harder for high school and college kids today to be happy than a generation ago? Well, that's definitely what the data suggests. You know, those rates of depression and anxiety, some of those have doubled just in the last 10 years. And the million-dollar question is, why is that? I mean, I think there's all kinds of factors, you know, that just our students today are living in a really uncertain world that feels scary in terms of the economy, in terms of the climate, in terms of political polarization. I think our students today also face technologies that make it really difficult for them to connect. Ironically, you know, things like social media and all these phones and things that we interact with all the time, it can make it harder to connect more in real life. And so I think that the younger generation is facing pressures and kind of technological changes that make it even harder for them to focus on their well-being. Um, But I think that that's not just young people. I mean, I think adults are facing many of these same problems, and we need strategies to overcome the issues that come up with our changing world. That's Yale psychology professor Laurie Santos, host of the Happiness Lab podcast. On the record on WYPR, i Sheila Cast. We're talking about the science-based steps she advocates for making better decisions and becoming more happy. Quoting from your course for high schoolers, quote, the number one behavior that boosts happiness is social connection, close quote. Unpack that. Yeah, every available study of happy people suggests that happy people are more social. Um, If you look at happy people, they spend more time physically around other humans. They also spend more time prioritizing, like hanging out with their friends and family members. They're just hanging out with the people they care about more often. And this is true both for introverts and extroverts. I think the data suggests that introverts do need some alone time, but both introverts and extroverts wind up feeling better if they're with other people. The problem is that when we're feeling, uh, you know, kind of frustrated, if we're feeling kind of down, if we've had a long day, it can be hard to overcome that initial friction of reaching out to a friend, you know, calling somebody that we want to interact with. It's just much easier to plop down and, you know, say, watch TV or just do something private. But the data suggests that in those moments where we're feeling down, that's when we need social connection the most. And you you mentioned a minute ago the the social media apps that really don't connect us. So how do we work against all that? Yeah, I mean, how many times have you seen a family at dinner where, you know, individuals are together in real life, but everyone is looking at their phone privately, right? You know, I think that oftentimes our technology can be a real opportunity cost on connecting in real life. And that's the kind of thing that research shows matters for boosting our happiness. What we need is social connection in real life, or at least in real time, you know, talking to someone on the phone where you can talk to them in real time, that works really differently than say, scrolling through an Instagram feed, for example. Um, But I think the key is that we just need to understand the benefits that come with social connection. I think that's where understanding the science can really help. You know, as I started reading more about these data, it caused me to invest a little bit more in my own social connections, which I felt like, you know, were 
kind of would fall by the wayside when I was feeling busy or things like that. I think understanding the science here can really help us when you see the data, when you see how important it is to our overall mental health, to our physical health, even to our longevity of get of kind of investing in our social relationships. All of a sudden, it starts to make it a little bit easier to prioritize those in real life social connections. One of the goals you talk about that intrigues me is developing a sense of time affluence. I mean, we associate affluence with financial comfort. You're talking about another kind of wealth. Yeah, this is wealth in terms of time, right? It's it's feeling like you have free time to do whatever you'd like. It's the opposite of what most of us experience all the time, which researchers call time famine, where you're literally starving for time. Um, but time famine, the research shows, can have a huge hit on your well-being. In fact, if you self-report not having any free time at all, that can be as big a hit on your well-being as if you self-report being unemployed. Oh. You know, most of your listeners now know that if they lost their job tomorrow, that would be you know, a huge hit on their happiness. Just self-reporting that you don't have any free time is as bad. And so I think we need to start valuing time wealth, just like many of us value monetary wealth, right? We spend all this time investing in our wealth, looking at our portfolios, you're trying to save for retirement. What would it look like if we put the same value on our free time and trying to make sure that we had opportunities for leisure and rest and so on? But what if you actually have a lot of deadlines and don't have free time? How do you make time affluence? Well, the beauty of time affluence scientifically is not, it's not the objective amount of free time we have. It's the subjective sense that we have some free time. And that's pretty helpful because it means we can just reframe the free time that we do have and it can make us feel a little bit more wealthy in time. You know, think about the last time maybe a meeting at work got canceled at the last minute. You know, that meeting might have been only a half hour, but when you get that free half hour back, all of a sudden you feel like, you know, you're incredibly wealthy. You can learn some new hobby. Like you just feel so open in terms of time. Um, that example is lovely because it shows us that we don't need a lot of free time to feel like we have some. And so what would it look like to just go into your calendar, even if it's a month or so from now, and just like scribble in a little, you know, free one hour block that says time affluence, so you can get some time back. Another great strategy that I love, which comes from the Harvard Business School professor, uh, Ashley Willens, she suggests that we make good use of what's called our time confetti. Um, time confetti are the like little tiny pieces of time that we have that are floating around. You know, that five minutes when a work meeting ends or 10 minutes when your kids happen to fall asleep early. We don't really do good things with those little pieces of time because we feel like they're just tiny pieces. That's this idea of time confetti. But if we use that time well, it really does add up over time. And so Ashley recommends making what she calls a time confetti wish list, a kind of to-do list when you get those five minutes so that you use them well, you don't just blow them off. You've put forth literally scores, probably hundreds of tips. What is your favorite go-to happiness boost? One of the ones I use all the time is a quick mindset shift which is to engage in a little bit more gratitude, just the simple act of noticing the blessings out there. I mean, the science really shows that just the act of writing down three to five things you're grateful for can significantly improve your well-being in as little as two weeks. And I love this strategy because, you know, it doesn't take any effort. You don't have to rearrange your schedule or put something in your calendar. You don't even have to call someone. You just have to think about the things in your life that are good. And just that act of shifting from the negative stuff to the positive stuff can be so powerful for our overall life satisfaction and our well-being. Thank you for all these ideas. Thanks so much for having me on the show. 
Yale psychology professor Laurie Santos hosts the Happiness Lab podcast. She's coming to Charm City a week from Thursday for the Baltimore Speaker Series presented by Stevenson University. At the On the Record page at WIPR.org, we have links to the podcast and some of her work. Quick break on the record and then an outreach to families for Children's Dental Health Month. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. One in four children in the United States goes without preventive dental care, according to the Annie E. Casey Foundation. And here in Maryland, the National Survey of Children's Health finds that one in five children has teeth that are not in very good or excellent condition. February is Children's Dental Health Month. To observe it, the American Dental Association and the Maryland State Dental Association Charitable and Educational Foundation have organized more than a dozen dental clinics across the state. Here to tell us about the clinics is Dr. Brenda Shaw, a dentist in Baltimore County. Dr. Shaw chairs the Maryland State Dental Association's Give Kids a Smile program, and she helped form the group's New Dentist Committee. She's also involved in planning the American Dental Association's annual Continuing Education Conference. Dr. Shaw, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me and giving a platform for oral health on your show. How important are dental checkups for kids? So it is incredibly important to get babies and children into the dental office as soon as the first tooth erupts. Um, We like to recommend around six months to a year being a great first visit, getting the kids acclimated to what a dental office is like, just having us take a look at the gums, make sure the teeth look good um, as they're coming in and making sure that we're educating the parents on how to take care of their children's teeth. You know, we don't really learn these things anywhere, right? Like I didn't learn how to brush my teeth the right way until I even went to dental school. Oh my gosh. And I come from a pretty, pretty great place of privilege, right? So I just think it's really important to get parents and their children into the office as soon as that first tooth erupts or in that first six to six months of the first year. What are some of the barriers that keep families from accessing dental health care? Unfortunately, you know, the cost is obviously the biggest issue when it comes to healthcare overall, and especially dental health, especially because dental insurance is separate from medical insurance. The next barrier that I see sometimes is that I see a uh, primarily a population of underserved people that may have a language barrier that may not have the dental IQ um, because they were just never exposed to that from their upbringing or from their country either. Um, So those are probably the biggest barriers that I see when it comes to dental health care and the access to it. Um, A lot of times there's also the uh, restrictions when you have insurance to which providers you can even go to. So I find that that can be, you know, another barrier once you even have access to dental health care. It's a different type of barrier. (laughs) Families who cannot afford to pay out of pocket for dental visits, what options do they have? 
So there's some really great resources online, especially through the Maryland Department of Oral Health. They have a great resource guides based on which county you live in, and they provide the details on the different clinics that offer free or reduced uh, price care for the citizens of Maryland. And they explain to you know what types of procedures are covered, whether it's preventative or restorative or anything more than that. Um, there are also a couple other programs within Maryland. So Maryland Healthy Smiles is our Medicaid program where we provide care for children, people who are pregnant, and also now adults as of the last two years. Um, these services are covered by the state and they include a myriad of procedures from preventative to also restorative. Then there's also the Maryland Foundation of Dentistry that offers donated dental services. So um, people can apply for those services uh, for care free of charge. And so I am very proud to be a provider for both of those programs um, and love advocating for that oral health resource guide that the Department of Health, the Department of Oral Health within the Department of Health actually provides. Um, you can find that online and that they also have physical pamphlets. So if um, anyone wants to even provide that as a resource to the general public, they'll send you the pamphlets as well. And we will we will link on our website to some of those resources you just laid out. Let's talk about these free clinics this month. What what happens at the free clinics? Yeah, so Give Kids a Smile is a program that focuses on a different type of um, event, mostly focusing on children. We do everything from oral health education to preventative work. So we'll do oral health screenings. We'll do fluoride treatments. And then some places will actually offer free services for children, which is amazing. They'll do everything from exams to fillings to extractions to any other care that might need to be provided. And so these events happen all throughout the state and are hosted by various schools, various dental offices. Um, we have events at uh, even some interesting locations. We've been trying to get into barbershop locations, trying to get into different um, community engagement centers and things like that. Just trying to, again, bring down those barriers to care. These are physical barriers to care, right? We want to bring the care to people. We don't want to have to work, have people worry about transportation or taking off from work or school to be able to have these resources um, and these treatments done. So um, we're trying to bring the care to everyone. And for the purposes of Give Kids a Smile, who's considered a kid? So we see young people up to the age of 18, typically. Um, Maryland Healthy Smiles and some of the other programs will help people throughout any age or a little bit older than 18. But our events are primarily geared towards people who are younger than 18. Um, granted, a lot of times people will be bringing their children, obviously, they're not going to be coming alone. So we provide resources for the parents. Um, so it's still a nice way to have a touch point with the group of people that are older than 18. That's Baltimore County dentist Dr. Brenda Shaw. On the record on WYPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about free oral health screenings being held across the state to mark Children's Dental Health Month. There have already been a handful of clinics this month. What have you heard from parents and children? So I've had some great success um, from hearing these stories of parents that are finding dental homes for their children, parents that are finding ways to get insurance to get even some coverage for the dental care. I've been able to see people connect with 
um, people in different languages like Spanish. It's been really, really nice to see these events go so smoothly. And we just have so many more events that we have planned. It's like almost every day of this month. And we have now so much um, excitement about it that we're going to be continuing things through March. We already have things planned for August. So even though this is our month, we're talking about things throughout the year, throughout the state. And I just love to see that energy going um, from just a month to the entire year. Tell me more about what advice you give families about how to encourage healthy dental habits in their children. Absolutely. So obviously, a lot of parents are very concerned with my child doesn't want to brush my child just wants to eat sugary foods. So we talk about ways that they can make this fun, right? Kids want to have fun. Maybe you can have a little dance party and play some fun music while you brush your teeth in the morning, right? Get the (laughs) day started, have a good time together, you know, be a role model for your children. Like I'm brushing my teeth, you're brushing your teeth, we're brushing our teeth together. Um, when it comes to sugary snacks and drinks and um, all the, the good things that we we all do love to enjoy, right? And there's no harm in that in moderation. But when we talk about these things, we say, make sure that you rinse your mouth with water after you have a sip of that Gatorade. You know, obviously, kids are really excited to play sports and stuff. So, you know, they want their Gatorade and I want them to make sure they're getting the electrolytes too. But let's get a nice couple gulps of water in afterwards just to get that mouth back to health. Um, we talk about alternatives to sugary things like candy. They have great things on the market now like xylitol, lollipops that actually help prevent dental decay instead of create dental decay like your traditional lollipops. So I try to work with families and encourage them to do what fits best with their routine and their lifestyle and try to, you know, make this personal for each of them. Make it fun. Make it exciting for the kids. Well, some kids and let's face it, some adults are afraid of the dentist. How do you ease your patient's nerves? Absolutely. I mean, dental anxiety is the other barrier to care, right? It's cost and anxiety. And so when it comes to easing the anxiety of honestly, the parents more than the children sometimes, it's just getting acclimated to the environment, right? A lot of times what I do is I try to work with the kids and just have them explore what it's like to be in a dental office, right? Look at the different tools, feel the different tools that we're going to be working with, have them feel the little paintbrush we use to put on the fluoride, help show them what the drill kind of will feel like. I'll ask them for their little fingernail and I'll show them what it feels like just to have it buffed a little bit. I'll say, that's what I'm going to do to your tooth. We try to make things a little bit less um, sterile, I guess. You know, we talk about making things more fun when it comes to fighting off the bad guys in your teeth, right? They're not germs there. They're not bacteria. They're the bad guys. And we're going to be the heroes. We're the superheroes that are going to help get them back into health. We just try to reframe things in the kids' minds and the parents' minds to not be as terrifying. And you'd be surprised. Some of my pediatric patients are so strong, they won't even flinch during the needle. They handle things like a champ. And I'll have my adult patients just in shock when they see that. They're like, wow, I didn't expect this to go so well. So I try to prepare the parents and tell them, you know, tell the children kind of what to expect and try to keep calm. And we're going to make this as seamless as possible. Dr. Shaw, thank you for all these great ideas. Absolutely. Thank you so much for hearing us out. Especially the toothbrushing dance party. Love that. Show me your teeth.
Dr. Brenda Shaw is a dentist in Baltimore County. She chairs the Maryland State Dental Association's Give Kids a Smile program, which has partnered with the American Dental Association to hold a series of free oral health clinics for kids across the state. At the On the Record page, we have a link to the list of the dates and locations of the clinics. Two clinics are scheduled soon in Baltimore County, this Friday, February 16th, at Vincent Farm Elementary School, and a week from Saturday, February 24th, at the Community College of Baltimore County. I'm Sheila Cass. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow. Tell me something that'll save me. I need a man on my all right. Tell me something that'll change me. I'm gonna love you with my hands tied. Show me your teeth. Tell me when. Show me your teeth. Open your mouth, boy. Show me your teeth. Show me what you got. Show me your teeth. Teeth, teeth, teeth. Show me your teeth.